I've never been in trouble in my life. I didn't even have a parking ticket. I didn't, you know what I mean? I, I was brought up like cops are the, the good guys. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I do know that everything was stacked against me. Everything, like everything. This isn't supposed to happen this way. I'm innocent. I know I'm innocent. I know I had nothing to do with this. How is this possible? I grew up trusting the systems. I grew up believing that every human being should do the right thing. And that's why, even though I knew I was dealing with corrupt people, I was not going to bribe anyone to get me out of prison because I wouldn't live with the fact that I bribed my way out of my wife's death. I'm not innocent until proven guilty. I'm guilty until I prove my innocence, and that's absolutely what happened to me. Our system, since I've been out 10 years, it's come a little ways, but it's still broken. I totally lost trust in humanity after what happened to me. This is Wrongful Conviction. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Wrongful Conviction. Today we have a very special episode. I know they say that, I, I know I say that a lot, but this time it's really true. This week's episode is a call to action because we're here to talk about the non-unanimous jury problem in Louisiana and Constitutional Amendment 2, which is on the ballot next month, November 6th, and it needs to be eliminated. Today we have one of my favorite human beings and a personal hero of mine, Doug DeLosa. 
Uh, Doug, welcome back to Wrongful Conviction. Thank you, Jason. Pleasure to be back. And we have a guy whose name I can't pronounce, but I'm going to try it anyway, um, who is a glutton for punishment. Let's just say that. Chris Pusho is here for the first time. Welcome to Wrongful Conviction, Chris. Thank you for having me, Jason. And by way of introduction, uh, both of these guys are Louisiana natives, and we're here for a very specific purpose today, which is to discuss the non-unanimous jury verdict problem in Louisiana, which is a unique and really terrifying problem. But with any luck at all, it's about to get fixed. And Doug, you have a very personal take on this because you are someone who was sentenced to life in prison after a non-unanimous jury declared you guilty. And so, you I mean, I can't even imagine what this looks like through your eyes, but why don't you elaborate a little on that situation? I was tried and convicted of second-degree murder back in 1987, and the jury verdict was 11-1. It was a non-unanimous verdict. And from my understanding, uh, after quite a bit of deliberation, uh, numerous votes at one point in time, the most people they had for conviction was eight with four people holding out saying that I was not guilty. Then the bailiff comes in and says, if y'all don't come in with a verdict in the next couple of minutes, we're going to have to continue this in the morning. And lo and behold, four, three of the four people uh, decided to change their mind. It's like, well, you know, majority of people feel you're guilty. We're just going to vote guilty so we can get out of here. So I was sent to prison for life with no opportunity for parole, probation, suspension, or sentence. Uh, and the verdict, even after that, was non-unanimous. Uh, and, you know, I may be opinionated and uh, a little bit biased, but with even one person saying that I'm not guilty, to me, that's reasonable doubt. I mean, yeah, reasonable is, is, I mean, it's 8% of the jury, basically, right? More than 8% of the jury. And it's insane. I mean, in your case, first of all, let's just reflect for a second on the idea that those three jurors who slipped, you know, who flipped their vote at the last minute apparently felt that their evening at home was more valuable than the rest of your life, um, which is hard to process. I mean, I can't imagine what was going through their minds, but... And I know the details of your case. Anyone who's listened to your episode on wrongful conviction knows that no reasonable person could have listened to the evidence that was presented, even though they framed you egregiously. They still couldn't have possibly looked at that and said, yep, I'm absolutely sure this guy killed his wife because the, the circumstances of your case are as crazy as any I've heard, and I've heard hundreds of them. So, And, and Chris, let's turn to you because Chris is the deputy director of the Anonymous Jury Coalition. And you've had a lot of experience in um, trying to do what you can to um, bring some justice to the injustice system in Louisiana. But first, let me ask you this question, because having been a, a public defender and everything else, in probably the toughest place in the country to be a public defender, are there any other states, I know the answer to this question, but are there any other states that have a non-unanimous jury verdict? One. Which one? Uh, aside from Louisiana, it's Oregon. Oregon. And I think they're working on fixing it, too. They I will met... probably have that fixed in the spring. Right. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I actually met with the governor and, and spoke to her about it. I know she'd like to see it fixed as well. But, the, um, but back to this, this crazy question, and certainly Oregon is, is a much 
a smaller problem because they have a tiny fraction of the number of cases that go through the. They probably have less cases than New Orleans, I would guess, as a state. But would I not can't prove that. Me. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. can't prove that. I don't know. But that's that's a guess. But but how does this situation even exist? Why does it exist, Chris? I mean, what was the origin of this non-unanimous jury verdict um, a protocol? Let Let me just interject that. While Oregon is the only other state in the United States where they have such a thing as a non-unanimous jury verdict, Louisiana is the only state where a person can be sentenced to life imprisonment on less than a unanimous jury verdict. So in Oregon, while a person can be convicted with an 11 to 1 or 10 to 2, they can't be sentenced to life in prison. And that's a tough cross to bear. I mean, and tough is obviously too too uh, um, light of a word for that. But I can't imagine for you or anyone else, and it's not you're not an isolated case. Um, and we'll talk about that in a second. To be sitting there, spending the rest of your life in prison, knowing that a jury of your peers didn't actually vote to convict you. They, 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 it's called a hung jury for a reason, right? I mean, if anything, you should have been uh, given a, a, a retrial. Um, and, the, you know, if the jury couldn't decide, then we know what happens. They, they go home and you start all over again sometime in the future. But that's obviously not what happened. Well, how, how common is it for people to be sentenced to prison or even life in prison in Louisiana by a non-unanimous jury? Well, it's a horror. Uh, you know, to think that there are members of the jury who think you're innocent, sometimes as many as two, voting not guilty, yet you're found guilty and sent to prison for mandatory life sentence or a practical life sentence, meaning that just because you're not sentenced to life, if you're sentenced to 300 years, no one's going to live to serve that. So, uh, you know, it it's disheartening at the very least, uh, you know, to think that you're facing a system that the cards are stacked against you. The DA is bringing marginal cases because they know they don't need a unanimous verdict. Right. And that's a very important point that you brought up, right? So DAs are much more inclined to bring a case that they otherwise might drop because they know that they only have to convince, you know, uh, basically what, 10 out of 12, I don't have to do the math, um, you know, a, a majority of the, of the jury, you know, um, to convict. I mean, it's, it's, it's important also, Doug, to talk about the fact that, you know, for people who are listening going, well, this can never happen to me. I mean, you know, like, uh, it's not really going to affect my life, right? Um, you would be somebody that would probably have a lot to say about that because you were the farthest thing from a career criminal. I mean, when this happened, your life was basically a bowl of cherries, right? I don't know about a bowl of cherries, but maybe a bowl of peaches. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right, Jason. Uh, I don't think there's necessarily anything special about me, but... At the same time, I don't think I'm the typical person who gets sentenced to life in prison in the state of Louisiana or anywhere. Uh, I'd never been in trouble with the law. I guess prior to me being arrested, I had one traffic ticket 20 years earlier, and that's the extent of my exposure to the law. Uh, I came from an upper-middle-class family. Um, no one in my family had ever been in trouble with the law. 
I was happily married with two children, and we were living the American dream as far as I'm concerned. Until it turned into the literal the, worst the, nightmare that anybody yeah, it could have. turned into the American nightmare. Yeah. Um, so, Chris, I want to come back to you. What is the origin of this um, very bizarre, it was really un-American um, protocol that, that is sort of unique, unique to Louisiana and, and Oregon and hopefully going to be going away by the time the, most people are even hearing this podcast? So the drafters of the state constitution in Louisiana adopted in 1898 uh, to, quote, to perpetuate the supremacy of the Anglo-Saxon race in Louisiana. So in 1898, they drafted an amendment to the Constitution, and it's hard to imagine that they were thinking other anything other than, well, if we get some people who are of a color, that's probably not the word they were using, uh, on a jury, we want to make sure that they don't get to screw up our you know, our, uh, uh, our ability to lock people up whenever we want to, more or less. Um, and since the overwhelming majority of the people being locked up back then and now were people of color, um, it's, you know, it's really hard to imagine that they had anything other than the worst intentions when they set this up. And, and when I say the worst, I mean purely racist intentions. Is that fair? That's fair. <laughs> Very fair. And the intent was clear. It, if the federal constitution required that African Americans be allowed to serve on juries, the state constitution would make sure that minority votes would, could be discounted. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. 
Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let me ask you this. You have uh, many years of experience working in, really, in the trenches of the criminal justice system in, in New Orleans, right? Not too many, but yes. I was a client advocate at the public defender's office. So you've seen a lot. And we know 60 Minutes did that uh, amazing, disturbing piece on the public defender's office in Louisiana yep. a couple of years ago where the uh, head of the uh, association, whatever it's called, of public defenders in Louisiana, or was it New Orleans or Louisiana? It that, was New Orleans. Right. So the head of the public defenders actually took a stand and said he was going to uh, refuse to allow his attorneys, his public defenders, to handle any felony cases, violent felony cases, because as he said, we've got 52 public defenders who are processing 20,000 cases a year. So the math is simple, right? They were doing about 400 cases per person. And when you you get deeper in the weeds on the numbers, and you know the courts aren't open on the weekends, that means they were doing about a case and a half a day average, right? So, yeah, and just to be clear on that, um, what happened at the public defender's office at that point, there was, because of staff turnover and the way things were shaking out, the public defender in New Orleans began refusing cases on all like major crimes, like life without parole cases that the public defenders take, would, would take. Um, at the time, public defenders would not take 
in that office were not taking death penalty cases. That's what was going on when the 60 Minutes piece came out. Right, and there's a simple reason for that, which is that, and, and the, the gentleman, I forgot his name, but he, um, he, he, he spoke very eloquently, and he talked about how he wasn't going to continue to just process people into prison because, it, 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 you know, when you, when you break it down, if you're handling that many cases plus trying to have any kind of a life, which as a public defender and making, you know, barely above minimum wage <laughs> and with debts from college or law school and everything else. I mean, there's that amazing movie, Gideon's Promise, that really takes you inside yeah. the, you know, the struggles that these people, many of whom are really uh, doing, you know, uh, doing the Lord's work, so to speak. Um, it's it's impossible for them to mount any sort of an effective defense without having any time to prepare. Many of them meet their clients on the day of the trial for the first time, and then you're up there. I mean, I can't imagine that you know what's going through somebody's mind when they're like, "Wait, you're my attorney," and, and basically a lot of them just go come up and say, "Hey, I, uh, my advice is plead guilty because I can't, you know, I don't I don't know what to do." And that's why we have this felony, this guilty plea problem in, in the in America, where 96% of felony convictions are a result of guilty pleas. It's probably even higher uh, down there, if I had to guess. Doug, what, what's your take on this whole situation? And, and what do you, what, I mean, what, what can be done? I mean, obviously, people have to get out and vote, right? Because this referendum's on the ballot, and that's what we're here to talk about now. So people have to get out and vote and get rid of this thing before it gets rid of you. You're right, Jason. The education of the voters in Louisiana is probably the most important thing. You know, I myself, having gone through everything that I have, it only dawned on me a couple of years ago that a person could be convicted in Louisiana by less than a unanimous uh, verdict and that we were the only place in the United States where I would have received a life sentence based on an 11-1 vote. So if I didn't realize this, I would say that the vast majority of voters in Louisiana have no idea what the law is. Right. I mean, you were a very educated guy, and um, you know, you would have had uh, every reason. If anyone would know about it, you would have been person to know about it. But it's sort of an obscure um, aspect of the of the criminal justice or criminal injustice system down there. And we know that up until very recently, Louisiana incarcerated more. Americans per capita than any state in the country. Um, now Oklahoma has taken that dubious distinction. And of course, New Orleans uh, incarcerates more Louisianans per capita than anywhere else in uh, Louisiana. So you were actually right in the epicenter of the problem. And you were processed, uh, I mean, yeah, really processed through because it uh, it was good for certain people's careers to get a conviction in your case. I mean, your your case was uh, for people who aren't familiar with the Doug Delosa case. I mean, your case was a high profile case, and they needed to get a conviction, and they couldn't figure it out, and you made a convenient scapegoat. Is that about right? That's pretty much it. Uh, the careers of the two assistant district attorneys and the detectives who arrested me rested on getting a conviction, and. I think they did it just to prove that they could frame a person and get away with it. 
Well, one of the most terrifying aspects of your case is the fact that they actually told you they were framing you. Well, one of the arresting officers told you they were framing you while they were framing you, right? Which is something that I think if you put that, you know, I'm I'm friends with John Grisham. I think I don't have to call him and see if he'd even, I don't think he would even dare to put that in a book or someone would go, that's ridiculous. No one's going to believe that, right? Yeah. The arresting detective stood face to face with me. And when I asked him why he was arresting me when he knew I didn't do it, I won't go into all the profanity that he used. You he, can. This is a, it's a family show, but you can go ahead. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he looked me in the um, face and almost spitting with his words and said, fuck you, fuck your children, fuck your dead wife. I didn't ask that stupid bitch to die in my parish, my jurisdiction, and I know you didn't do it, but you wanted someone arrested, so guess what? I couldn't find the person that actually did it. But I can frame you, so you're it. Right. So you had the um, you had the nerve to actually speak out to try to encourage the, the authorities to find the person that murdered your wife, the mother of your children, and that's really what your crime was. And and then that that was that was enough to say, okay, well, I mean, that wasn't the only reason, right? The other thing was, a few months had gone by, uh, they didn't have an arrest. We know that in these cases, when there's a media spotlight, a high-profile case, nice neighborhood, uh, brutal crime, uh, people are scared, there's a lot of pressure, um, there's that much more of a chance that uh, an innocent person is going to get um, not just wrongfully convicted, but framed, as you were, because of all those factors. And, and this, was, this, was, I mean, this one hit all those buttons. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was told by quite a few people, including the attorney that represented me at trial, if I'd have just kept my mouth shut, I'd have never been arrested. They would have left the crime go unsolved, but because I'd caused trouble for the local police department, they were going to make trouble for me. Wow, that's, um, I got to just process that for a minute. Um, and I know your story. I mean, I've told your story so many times, and I find sometimes when I'm actually telling your story, I'm listening to myself tell it and going, no, that can't be true. But I know that it is because I know you now for how many years? It's like uh, eight or nine years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and we've been, you know, we've told your story in, in great detail on this show. Uh, I believe, you know, one of the most powerful and, and disturbing episodes that we've ever done uh, was the episode we did with you. And, um, yeah, so I hope people will take the time to go back, uh, and listen to the Doug DeLosa episode because it is really, uh, there's a lot to be learned from what you went through and it speaks to the problem, exactly the problem that we are facing now in Louisiana and that we're hoping that people who are listening will get out and vote understanding that again, you can be convicted by a jury of your peers even though two of them don't think you're guilty. And that's crazy. And, and you know, imagine if that, if that was the situation across this country, it, the, the, the rate of convictions would be astronomical. And pe- the, the, I mean, we already have the worst mass incarceration problem in the history of the, of the civilized world. And it would be uh, absolutely untenable. And the number of innocent people in prison, which is currently estimated to be 6% uh, across this country, right? Which, you know, people say 6%. Well, what if you're one of them? I mean, that's 6%, by the way, is about 100,000 people. That's 100,000 Doug DeLosas that are out there. I know because I get letters from them, you know? Um, and uh, it's, you know, 
it would be, again, the numbers would go up dramatically, uh, maybe even exponentially, if that were allowed to be the case. It's also true, and why I think this is so important, that we have to have a unanimous jury verdict everywhere, is because it's a mismatch in the courts, right? The, you know, the fact is, we talked about the public defenders and how overmatched they are, but even if you have a private attorney, the government has literally almost unlimited resources, and they can, uh, they can do an awful lot. Uh, that the defense can't do by way of convincing a jury. I mean, the juries, we know that my friend Josh Dubin conducted a study and found that your average person has an inherent bias that if someone is on the stand or if someone is in, in the, uh, um, you know, is, is shown to them in a lineup or anything else, the, the numbers are almost 80%, around 80% of how many people think they're, they must be guilty or they wouldn't be there in the first place. So start with that. And the burden is really high to try to convince jurors that you didn't do it if you ever find yourself in that situation. Um, Chris, what, what else can you share with us about this situation and the effects that it has on the justice system in Louisiana? And let's not forget, by the way, that every time a Doug DeLosa or someone else is convicted that's innocent, and we know that that happens much more frequently when you have a non-unanimous jury um, verdict, the guilty guy is allowed to, to remain free. And prey on other innocent victims. I mean, it makes us less safe, right? Um, when we're not sure, when there is, when there is doubt, and we're essentially um, prosecutors are essentially able to weaponize the non-unanimous jury in in their power because they can basically use for they can use somebody's past against them, and they can basically use that as a way to get people to plea out because they're staring at you know a major charge that carries a certain amount of weight and you know depending on the facts of the case if you're if you're a guy who's looking at 20 years if you lose this case right and the prosecutors can can use the fact that they don't need you know a unanimous jury to to put you in jail Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. 
This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's unpack that for a second. So basically what you're looking at is, particularly in the minority community where, you know, we know that a lot of people have rightly or wrongly, and in many cases wrongly, they have a prior arrest. Um, and that means that they can stack the charges and they can, you know, ha- hang that over your head, the idea that you're going to a- end up with an enhanced sentence. Enhanced is a weird word, but because uh, that, that actually sounds like a positive word. But so that you can have a much longer sentence based on the fact that you have priors and now you go into the career you know, whatever you want to call that um, category. So uh, that, and then you add to that, that uh, on top of that hammer that they're already holding over your head. Now they can say, well, we know they don't even have to say it out loud, but they know that their chances of getting conviction are greater than any other place in the country because of the fact that they don't need to get a, a, a full jury to, to convict you. So now you as a defendant, if you are made aware of this and you're sitting there going, wait a minute. So, not only am I looking at potentially spending 20 or basically all the best years of my life in prison, 
But I know that the odds are not only stacked against me because I'm dealing with a public defender who's overworked and underpaid and 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 and, and no not proper investigators that can help me and and a, a, a system that's really just sort of you know collapsing down on me and my chances of of proving my innocence in in the case of a unanimous jury you know, situation would be tough enough, but now, yeah, I mean, anybody would go, well, hell with it. I don't care if I did the crime or not. I'm going to take the five, the six, the seven years, whatever I can get. So I can at least go home and, and see, see my kids, you know, graduate from high school or God knows what, right? If you're looking at five years and you might be a year into in your arrest and you're just waiting for trial, you're looking at getting out in a handful of years, you know, and you may not even have to do that full five depending on the type of plea you take. So, so, so it becomes a processing situation, pretty much. And, and yeah. Doug, I want to go back to you. How common, I mean, because I'm sure some people are listening and say, well, this can't happen all that often, right? I mean, like, you know, is this really something I need to be concerned with? Um, but that's not accurate either, right? I mean, this is, how often does this actually come into play? I think it comes into play all too often, Jason, uh, just in Louisiana in the past 10 years, we've had more than 30 exonerations, to my knowledge. And there have been, over the same period of time, probably well over 1,000 exonerations nationwide in the past 10 years. And I think we've got a total of almost 2,000 exonerations uh, since the inception of the Innocence Project or accurate record-keeping. So it's not like it's a once in a blue moon occurrence. But in, in Louisiana specifically, how often are people convicted by a non-unanimous jury? Is that a frequent occurrence? Uh, from the statistics that I've seen, roughly 40% of all jury verdicts are non-unanimous verdicts. So four out of 10 people who go to trial, maybe even a little bit more than four out of 10, are convicted by less than a unanimous verdict. That's a crazy number. I mean, it's, and I know from, I got from working in this field for 25 years, there have been way too many uh, cases that I've seen, even death penalty cases, where it ended up in a 10 to 2 or an 11 to 1. And of course, that ended up in a retrial and an ultimately an acquittal in, in, in the cases where somebody was adequately represented by counsel. And some of these cases would, when you read them, um, and I'm reading this uh, incredible book, Quest for Justice. Defending the Damned by Richard Jaffe. It will blow your mind. But uh, it, in it, you, you see cases that are, I think even even you, Doug, even with your experience, it would turn the rest of your hair gray because some of these cases you just sit there and go, you can't understand how anyone could vote to convict or how they could have even been taken to trial in the first place. And yet... They end up in these 10 to 2 or 11 to 1 uh, situations, but at least you have those holdouts. And let's, you know, and let's talk, too, for a second about the importance of serving on a jury, because I, I talk about this a lot. For your average person, it's sort of one of those things in life that you dread, right? You get that envelope in the mail, and you know what it is before you open it up. And it's a, it's a, it's from the courts and it says, show up at such and such time, nine in the morning. And then your thoughts go to, oh my God, I'm so busy right now. I got work. I got things with my family. I got uh, obligations. I got to, how important is it for people that are listening to show up and, and when they're, and, and Doug, from your experience, your terrible experience, 
what what should people be aware of when they do go to serve on a jury and they end up in a criminal trial and they hold somebody somebody's life in their hands? I think that the average juror or all jurors, when they show up for jury duty and they're selected to sit on that jury, they need to realize that their vote counts and that they shouldn't compromise their beliefs just to go home early or just because they're being pressured by other members of the jury that there's a reason why they're on that jury and it's not to just acquiesce to someone who's a bully trying to tell you well vote guilty so we can go home or vote innocent even you know it's up to the each individual on that jury to vote clearly what their conscience tells them to vote uh, because the end result is you stand a chance to either ruin a person's life, ruin the life of their family and loved ones by a vote other than what you sincerely believe, or you have the opportunity, if you bring back a not guilty verdict, you have the opportunity to give that person a chance to go on with their life and be a productive member of society, but they can't do that if they don't vote sincerely. Right. So you have to be made aware, and anyone who listens to the show knows that there are, uh, you know, there are, listen, there's a lot of very decent and honorable people in law enforcement. I don't, it's by no means an easy job. And, uh, I'm, you know, I believe in a system of laws and I think we need to have, uh, you know, I, I know when I call 911, I want to know that somebody's going to come if I'm in trouble, right? There was that, there was that, uh, uh, it's funny, back in the 70s, anyone who's old enough can remember there was a, a T-shirt or a sticker that said, uh, don't, like, uh, don't like cops, next time you're in trouble, try calling a hippie, right? Um, and so I'm not one of those people that wants to call a hippie, but at the same time, we, it's important for everyone to stay woke and realize that in any profession, you have bad apples. And it's certainly true in law enforcement where there are reverse incentives in many cases, like there were in your case, to get things solved. And sometimes, you know, sometimes even for, you know, a a decent, honest person, they can get tunnel vision and they can go ahead down a road and, and then start to ignore the signs that someone's really innocent because it's kind of gained momentum on its own. And, uh, we've seen all different kinds of causes of wrongful conviction. So yes, if you get called to be on a jury, go. Your life is going to be okay. You know, you'll, you're, you'll, it seems like a big inconvenience at the time, but it's not that bad. Go, serve, realize that you're there uh, protecting or, you know, or, or, or you're, there, you're there as a, as a citizen of a society that needs you, and you're there passing judgment on your fellow citizen. So, and protecting your community, as you said, because again, when when you were convicted, Doug, when anyone in your situation is convicted wrongly, the actual killer or violent criminal, whoever they might be, remains free and goes and preys on other innocent people. Um, Chris, before we before we wrap up, it's it's going to be by the time this airs and people are listening, um, it's going to be almost time to get out there and and vote or yep. not in Louisiana. So, with your um, experience of having worked in various different aspects of, uh, you know, the criminal justice system in, in and around New Orleans. 
How important is it for people to vote on this uh, referendum? And what do they need to know going into the ballot box? Is there a particular, is there a number to this? Yep. Uh, okay, let, let's give people all the information that they need so they can make the best decision that they can. Yeah, so it is Constitutional Amendment 2 um, on the ballot box. The language is written very well, um, so it's very easy to understand. The actual amendment says, do you support an amendment to require a unanimous jury verdict in all non-capital felony cases for offenses that are committed on or after January 1st, 2019? So that is the the exact language of it. You just vote yes. So um, early voting starts on October 23rd, and it lasts a week, and then the actual vote will be on November 6th. So early voting starts October 23rd. The vote itself is on November 6th. Um, I think there's, there's you know, if you're, if you're having trouble figuring out how to get to the polls, I think Uber and Lyft are actually offering free rides to the polls. Yes, both of them are. If you don't have the Uber or the Lyft app, get it on your smartphone. They'll give you a free ride to the polls. Uh, a constitutional Amendment 2, vote yes because the ass you save could be your own, um, or it could be someone you love. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's really as straightforward as that. Um, you could find yourself in a situation um, where you're facing a jury of your peers, and you're going to want to know, even if it's just for purely uh, to your own uh, interest, that, that a unanimous jury is what's going to be required to convict you. Um, and, and again, we're sitting here now with Doug DeLosa, who was sentenced to life in prison by a non-unanimous jury uh, for a crime that he has proven um, that he didn't commit. I mean, they, they should have known all along that he didn't commit it because it was obvious. But now he's here after serving 14 years in maximum security prison to talk about this. So, I mean, Doug, I, I want to turn it back to you just for any other thoughts that you have. Um, because there's really almost no one more qualified to speak on this subject than you. So I appreciate you showing up here, uh, coming all the way up to New York to record this with us and, uh, you know, and, and help to educate and motivate your fellow Louisianans uh, as to the importance, the, the critical nature of this vote, which I'm, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic and, and, and really hopeful that it's going to pass. Uh, I think the one final thing I'd like to note as Chris mentioned earlier, 120 years ago in 1898, racism played a large role in the Constitution being written the way it was so that there wasn't the need for a unanimous uh, verdict to convict someone. But that racism in 120 years hasn't disappeared in Louisiana one bit. Uh, even today, well, at my jury... Uh, in 1987, the state used every strike that they had to strike blacks for my jury, even though I'm Caucasian. And the reason they did that, I could overhear the two assistant district attorneys talking at the bench next to us, and they said, the last thing we want is any effing blacks. Of course, they used the N-word, not blacks, on that jury because uh, blacks will understand that he's telling the truth, where white people can be convinced that's what happened to Doug DeLosa doesn't happen. And even to this day, I think statistics will prove that, especially in Jefferson Parish, where majority of the 
uh, jury uh, pool is white or something other than black, they still use way too many strikes against black jurors. And that's unconstitutional. The, the Supreme Court decided many years ago that you cannot uh, exclude people based on their race, but it still happens. And it's another reason why this non-unanimous uh, jury uh, a, a, a practice is, is uh, so dangerous and so nefarious. It's part of the reason why, um, you know, gentrification is becoming such an issue and it's something that nobody thinks about. Um, especially like in the New Orleans area, like part of this is now you have so many of these new residents who don't necessarily understand the culture and they may not understand, you know, everything about the city. And these are individuals who are being selected to go on juries and they don't, they don't really get everything, right? They don't get the, the system. They don't get what, what, what's going on and how that affects um, can affect somebody's life. You know, they just want to be on a jury or they don't want to be on a jury. And, um, and so it, it's something that it's just a byproduct of this, of, of gentrification in, in New Orleans, where we have a, just a different type of juror. And it's not always the best thing for, uh, for folks who are from the sit from the area. And, um, it, yeah, it's it's fascinating. So, so Chris, besides the obvious, which is for people to get up, get out, vote early, starting on October twenty third, or on November sixth, of course, go to the polls, um, do whatever you need to do to get there. Remember that Uber and Lyft are offering free rides, so if you don't have those apps, get the app so you can get there and you can take advantage of that free. It's totally free uh, if you're going to vote. Um, can people donate if they're hearing this and they're saying this is outrageous? I didn't know about this. I want to do something. Can people donate money to help with this effort to get the vote out and to and to fix this terrible problem? Absolutely. Um, people can go to www.unanimousjury.org. That's www.unanimousjury.org. Um, there is a donate button um, on the page. It goes to our Act Blue, um, which we use to for our fundraising. Right, so there's a donate button on the page, and it goes right to Act Blue, and it's used specifically for fundraising for this very, uh, very critical issue. And um, yeah, so go there, uh, vote, donate, get involved. Let's fix this problem, and then we can move on to the next one because there are plenty of other ones for us to deal with. As we do on Wrongful Conviction, and Doug, you know, since you've been on the show before and you've heard it and you're very, very familiar with our work, I do the thing that's hardest for me to do, which is that I stop talking and turn the microphone over to you for any final thoughts. Uh, yes, on November 6th, we need everyone in Louisiana to go vote yes on Constitutional Amendment 2. That's vote yes on 2. Um, and if you want any more information, if anyone wants to volunteer, if anyone wants to donate, you go to www.unanimousjury.org. Once again, Chris Pusho, Doug DeLosa, Thank you for being with us today on this very special episode of Wrongful Conviction. Thank you for having us, Jason. Don't forget to give us a fantastic review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. And 
I'm a proud donor to the Innocence Project, and I really hope you'll join me in supporting this very important cause and helping to prevent future wrongful convictions. Go to innocenceproject.org to learn how to donate and get involved. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall and Kevin Wardis. The music in the show is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer, Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction and on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast. Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number 1. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.